Arthur Lee Allen, Richard Marshall, Robert Ivan Nichols, Richard Gajkowski, Lawrence Kane, Ross Sullivan, Giuseppe Bevilacqua, Ted Kaczynski. A bunch of names with no connection at all. An elementary school teacher, a silent film enthusiast and projectionist, an identity thief, a newspaper editor, a convicted voyeur, a library assistant, the superintendent of the Florence American Cemetery and Memorial, the friggin' Unabomber, about as random as stuffing your hand in a bowl of business cards at a Bitcoin convention and pulling out a few. And yet, they all have one thing in common. They have all been suspected of being the Zodiac Killer. From December 1968 till at least January 74, this near-legendary serial killer murdered, terrorized, sent letters to the media, left riddles to be solved, and openly taunted law enforcement. And not only was he never caught, he was never even identified. Hence, the most famous unsolved murder case in American history. In 45 years, police investigated and cleared more than 2,500 suspects. Thank you for listening to the Homicide Inc. podcast. Your review and rating of this podcast is a huge help for the growth of this show. You can do so wherever you get your podcasts. Please give us a five-star rating and leave a review if you'd like. Thank you very much. All right, let's get back to the story. Pretty much nothing is simple or clear-cut in this case. Even the first and simplest thing you'd think to look at, the actual murders themselves, remain largely shrouded in mystery. While investigators have confirmed five murders, seven victims in total, two of whom survived, the Zodiac has claimed to have committed at least 37, and rumors and theories regarding suspected murders and victims abound. It all began on December 20, 1968, with the murder of a high school student couple on their first date, after a uniquely long pause between the first and second confirmed murder, the next attack wouldn't happen until July of 69, while from that point on, the killings occurred somewhat regularly throughout that year. He targeted almost exclusively couples, at least as far as the confirmed murders are concerned, with one exception of a cab driver, whom he shot once in the head in October of 69. This was also the last confirmed victim of the Zodiac. One of the most significant, and perhaps the most chilling of all, was the Lake Berryessa murder. On September 27, 1969, students Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard were picnicking at Lake Berryessa in Napa County, California, when a man approached them wearing a black executioner's hood with clip-on sunglasses over the eye holes and a bib-like device on his chest that had a white cross-circle symbol on it. He had brought pre-cut lengths of plastic clothesline and, at gunpoint, told Shepard to tie up Hartnell before he tied her up. He then pulled out a knife and started stabbing them both repeatedly. Hartnell suffering six wounds and Cecilia Shepard ten, 
It was Hartnell who survived to tell the tale. But it's not the killing that this serial killer is known for. It is, in essence, what he did after the murder. Once he had stabbed the two, he hiked back up towards Hartnell's car, drew the cross-circle symbol on the door with a black felt-tip pen, and wrote this beneath it. Vallejo, 12-20-68-7-4-69 September 27 69 6-30 By knife. What set the Zodiac apart from all other serial killers was his constant correspondence and communication with the world watching. He wasn't afraid of police and media attention. He actively caused it with the letters he would send to newspapers on a regular basis. Within those, he would openly take credit for murders committed, sometimes providing details about them that had not yet been released to the public. On August 7, 1969, in a letter to the San Francisco Examiner, the salutation, Dear Editor, this is the Zodiac speaking, was used. This was the first time the killer had used this name for identification. Later in October of that year, someone claiming to be the Zodiac called in to the talk show AM San Francisco. Asked for a less ominous name, he picked Sam. The caller said that he would not reveal his true identity as he was afraid of being sent to the gas chamber. A meeting was arranged on air between the caller and a prominent lawyer outside a shop on Mission Street in Daly City, but no one ever showed up. The call was later traced back to a patient in a mental institution, and investigators concluded that the man was not the Zodiac. On October 27, 1970, Chronicle reporter Paul Avery, best known for his reporting on the Zodiac Killer, received a Halloween card signed with the letter Z and the Zodiac's crossed circle symbol. The front of the card read, From your secret pal, I feel it in my bones. You ache to know my name, and so I'll clue you in, only to read inside. But why spoil the game? There was also a handwritten note inside which read, Peekaboo, you are doomed. What really set him apart, and still does, were his ciphers, encrypted messages that were made public for everyone to try their hand at decoding them. The first cipher was the longest, a 408-symbol cryptogram which the killer claimed contained his identity. The killer demanded it be printed on each paper's front page, or he would quote, Cruise around all weekend, killing lone people in the night, then move on to kill again, until I end up with a dozen people over the weekend. On November 8th, 1969, the Zodiac mailed the Z340 cipher, a cipher that would remain unsolved for over 51 years, that is, until December 2020, when an international team of private citizens decrypted it, which was verified by the FBI. In the decrypted message, the Zodiac denied being the Sam who spoke on AM San Francisco, explaining that he was not afraid of the gas chamber because it, quote, will send me to paradise all the sooner. The FBI stated 
that the decoded message gave no further clues to the identity of the Zodiac. On April 20, 1970, the shortest and perhaps the most important cipher appeared. The Z13 cipher was preceded simply by the words, My name is... followed by a 13-character cipher that hasn't been solved to this day. Although there is one quite infamous claim to this quite recently, and we'll get to that a little later. On October 6, 1969, police interviewed Arthur Lee Allen after he had been reported in the vicinity of the Lake Berryessa murder. But that was no more than a routine encounter. It wasn't until August 1971 when he came to the police's attention again after a friend of Allen's reported that he had allegedly talked about how he wanted to kill couples at random, call himself Zodiac, and that he would use a flashlight attached to his gun to aid hunting at night. According to his friend, that conversation occurred no later than January 1969. Out of all the names in that opening list, which itself is an extremely abridged version, Arthur Lee Allen remains to this day the only suspect authorities ever publicly named. In 1972, San Francisco police obtained a search warrant for Allen's residence. Allen was eventually arrested in 1974, but for sexually assaulting a 12-year-old boy. He pleaded guilty and served two years in prison. In 1991, police again obtained a warrant for Allen's residence, where this time, they found bomb-making diagrams, including the use of oil and ammonium nitrate, pipe bombs, and a host of incriminating evidence. But Allen claimed they had been left there by a third party. No charges were filed. In 1992, a victim and survivor of the Zodiac identified Allen as the man who shot him in 1969 from a photo lineup, saying, That's him. That's the man who shot me. However, in the 2007 documentary, his name was Arthur Lee Allen, a police officer who was speculated to have seen the Zodiac fleeing from the cab driver killing, stated that Allen weighed about 100 pounds more than the man he saw, adding that his face was too round. At the end of the day, the evidence against Allen was always almost exclusively circumstantial. He lived in Vallejo and worked minutes away from where one of the Zodiac victims lived and from where one of the killings took place. He owned a royal typewriter with an elite type, the same brand with which a letter sent to the Riverside Police Department was typed. He wore a Zodiac brand wristwatch, which was partially mentioned in the 408 cipher. He had stated that his favorite story was the most dangerous game, which was partially mentioned in the 408 cipher. That circumstantial evidence, however, was enough for Detective George Boward, who was almost certain it was him, as there were simply too many coincidences for it not to be. They were ready to charge Arthur Lee Allen and take him to trial, but he died before they could do that. In 2002, the San Francisco Police Department developed a partial DNA profile from the saliva on stamps and envelopes of Zodiac's letters, the SFPD compared this partial DNA to that of Arthur Lee Allen, with no match indicated. The world's leading expert on the Zodiac's handwriting, Lloyd Cunningham, who worked on the Zodiac case for decades, 
received boxes full of Alan's handwriting, and none of his writing even came close to the Zodiac. Nor did DNA extracted from the envelopes on the Zodiac letters come close to Arthur Lee Allen. After the so-called Lake Tahoe card authorities received from the Zodiac in 1971, he went silent for nearly three years. That is, until January of 1974, when he mailed a letter to the Chronicle, which opened with the phrase, I saw and think The Exorcist was the best satirical comedy I've ever seen, and was signed Yours Truly, along with a postscript reading, If I don't see this note in your paper, I'll do something nasty, which you know I'm capable of doing. Also included in the letter to the Chronicle were lines from The Mikado, a comedic opera written by Arthur Sullivan. And finally, at the very bottom of the page, and perhaps one of the most ominous notes written to date by the Zodiac, the score was written, Me, 37, SFPD, 0. This would be the final officially recognized Zodiac letter, and as such, the final officially recognized activity by the Zodiac killer, ever. As far as the actual events of the case were concerned, it was over. As far as the mystery, the lasting cultural impact of the unshakable question of who, it was just the beginning. A number of suspicious letters followed in the years to come, all unverified. Then, in 1978, a uniquely bizarre case unfolded. A letter arrived at the San Francisco Chronicle that read, Dear Editor, this is the Zodiac speaking. I'm back with you. Tell Herb Kane I'm here. I've always been here. That city pig Toshi is good, but I am smarter and better. He will get tired, then leave me alone. I'm waiting for a good movie about me. Who will play me? I am now in control of all things. The letter was initially deemed authentic, but was then declared a hoax less than three months later by three experts. But where this gets bizarre is that the man who was accused of forging it was none other than Dave Toshi, the top investigator in the Zodiac case for nine years. Author and columnist Armistead Maupin believed the letter to be similar to fan mail that praised the work of Toshi in the investigation, which he received in 1976, and he believed that both letters were written by Toshi. Toshi did actually admit to sending fake fan letters about himself to Maupin, but denied writing the letter in question, calling it absurd. He was demoted to pawn shop detail and retired from the force in 1985. Fast forward 30 years to March of 2007. An American Greetings Christmas card sent to the Chronicle, postmarked 1990 in Eureka, California, was rediscovered in their photo files, apparently initially overlooked amidst the countless hoax letters and forgeries. Its written contents bore an eerie resemblance to the Halloween card received by Avery more than 20 years before. The front reading, From your secret pal. Can't guess who I am yet? Well, look inside, and you'll find out. And written inside, that I'm gonna keep you guessing. Happy holidays anyway. 
But what followed in far greater quantities than letters was suspects. Perhaps no other case has created as many amateur detectives and researchers, and at times, just opportunists and con artists trying to make a buck or get their 15 minutes by selling a book, positing some wild, absolutely ridiculous tales. Take 2006, for instance. A retired police detective, Steve Hodell, released a book called Black Dahlia Avenger, in which he argued that his father, George Hodell, was the 1947 Black Dahlia killer. Then, taking advantage of that newfound credibility, he wrote a follow-up book called Most Evil, Avenger Zodiac, in which he claimed that his father was also the Zodiac killer, based upon a police sketch. That book, by the way, was not well-received, widely described as unconvincing and lacking in evidence. Then, in 2009, in an episode of the History Channel television series Mystery Quest, Richard Gajkowski was investigated as a potential suspect. A newspaper editor, Gajkowski, resembled the composite sketch. A police dispatcher that was contacted by the Zodiac shortly after the Blue Rock Springs attack identified a recording of Gajkowski's voice as being the same as the Zodiac's. Then, in 2014, it was reported that a man had come forward and told police that a friend of his, Louis Joseph Myers, had confessed to him all the way back in 2001 that he was the Zodiac killer, after learning that he was dying from cirrhosis of the liver. He said that Myers asked him to wait until after he died to tell authorities, and that he wanted him to write a book with the proceeds, going to the victim's families. Myers died in May 2002, and his friend has spent years trying to get police to listen. There are a few potential connections linking Myers to the Zodiac case. Myers attended the same high schools as victims David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen, and allegedly worked in the same restaurant as another victim. Military records show Myers was stationed in Germany between June 71 and January 73. Coincidentally, the Zodiac didn't send any letters during that time. Hmm. Then there's Lawrence Kane, an American salesman and career criminal who was apparently known for having a tendency to use various aliases to conceal his identity. We'll put a pin on that and get back to it in just a minute. In March 1970, Kathleen Johns claimed that she had been abducted by a man who resembled the police sketch of the Zodiac suspect. Fast forward to 1992. Johns picks out Kane in a photo lineup. Additionally, a patrol officer who may have encountered the Zodiac killer leaving a murder scene said that Kane closely resembled the man he crossed paths with. Kane also worked at the same Nevada hotel as possible Zodiac victim Donna Lass. Leaping forward to June 2021, Fakel Zirawi, a French-Moroccan business consultant, announces online that he has solved the Z13 cipher and that the solution reads, My name is Kair, K-A-Y-R. Now, remember that bit about Kane using different aliases? There were a few of them 
Kane, K-A-N-E, was one of them. His birth name, Klein, Kane with a C, and K, K-A-Y-E. That is what Zarawi assumed K-A-Y-R was a typo for, similar to ones found in previous ciphers. His claims caused quite an uproar in the Zodiac community, with a member of the international code-breaking team who solved another cipher saying that it was practically impossible to determine if any of them are correct because the ciphers are too short to verifiably establish a pattern. One final potentially interesting tidbit in the Zodiac's My Name Is cipher, the first four letters are A-E-N-K, an anagram for Cain. Hmm. In October of 2021, a team of more than 40 former law enforcement investigators, journalists, and military intelligence officers, known as the Case Breakers, claimed to have identified the Zodiac Killer as Gary Francis Post, an Air Force veteran who passed away in 2018 at the age of 80. Their claims included the discovery of new forensic evidence and photos from Post's darkroom, one image allegedly featuring scars on Post's forehead that matched scars on a sketch of the Zodiac. They also believe that Post killed Sherry Jo Bates back in 1966, citing a series of coincidences connecting them. Among them are the facts that Post was an Air Force veteran when he received medical checkups for a gun incident at a hospital, located 15 minutes away from the Sherry Joe Bates murder scene. A wristwatch with paint splatter on it was collected at the murder scene and is thought to have been worn by the killer, and Post painted homes for more than four decades. And... Detectives found a heel print from a military-style boot, which matched the same style and size of those found in other Zodiac crime scenes and of Gary Francis Post. And finally, most recently, and perhaps most inspiring, are the following findings. In the spring of 2021, an author by the name of Jarrett Kobeck set out to write a book specifically about misinformation and misguided theories based on speculation rather than facts. But during his research into the Zodiac, one name kept popping up over and over again. Paul Doerr. He stumbled across a letter sent to Paul Doerr, wherein he advocated for the use of one-cent stamps, around the same time as a letter sent by the Zodiac with six one-cent stamps. He also uncovered works of Dor, where he discussed J.R.R. Tolkien's fictional runic language, Sirth, used for creating codes and ciphers, published in April 1970, just when the killer was posting letters with ciphers of his own. It included an example bearing some resemblance to Zodiac's handiwork, and, like the Zodiac, Dor had used an arcane spelling of the word cipher. Jarrett Kobeck kept digging and found Dor expressing enthusiasm for the Society for Creative Anachronism, a group devoted to medieval cosplay. As good an explanation as anyone had yet offered for the Executioner's Hood, the Zodiac War during the Lake Berryessa murder. It turned out a Renaissance fair was taking place in the same area on that very day. He then 
came across door outlining instructions for making a bomb with ammonium nitrate and fertilizer, known as the ANFO formula, the same formula that the Zodiac had outlined in one letter. And perhaps, most importantly, both doors and the Zodiac's instructions contained the same error. Finally, he discovered that the Minutemen, a militant right-wing group, had first published the ANFO formula in the mid-60s, and that they had also advocated sending threatening letters that featured a gun sight symbol similar to the Zodiac logo. In the Minutemen FBI file, Kobeck found a membership list. And guess who was on the list? Paul Doerr. Kobeck compiled his findings in a 19-page document that he sent to the San Francisco Police Department, but got no response. His book, How to Find Zodiac, was released in February of 2022 to modest sales and virtually no public notice. However, so impressed was the daughter of Paul Doerr that she shifted from a lawsuit to meeting with Kobeck and eventually even telling him that despite her wanting to deny her father is the Zodiac Killer, she unfortunately thinks Kobeck is right. It's been estimated that if the Zodiac were still alive today, he would most likely be around 90 years old. So maybe there's an old man somewhere, on his porch at home, or in a nursing home, laughing at all these wannabe Sherlocks and fame chasers tripping over one another, or maybe trembling at every genuine discovery in advance towards uncovering him, or maybe not caring anymore in the slightest, tired of it all, or maybe at the age of 90, not even remembering anymore. The Zodiac, having forgotten that he's the Zodiac, the one man that could have solved it. In 45 years, police investigated and cleared more than 2,500 suspects. And by the looks of it, there's another 2,500 coming. Well, thanks very much for tuning in to the Homicide, Inc. True Crime Podcast. I'd like to invite you again to rate this podcast, whether it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. Be a pal, click the stars, and leave a review if you'd like to. This helps tremendously in getting our podcast into more ears. Thank you very much. Also, make sure you subscribe so you'll get notifications as soon as a new episode is released. And be sure to check out our Patreon campaign for exclusive Homicide Inc. podcasts that are available first to patrons. That information is in the description of this podcast. If you have a compelling true crime story you'd like me to consider investigating, please send me an email. And if you'd like to help support the production of the Homicide Inc. podcast, you can always buy us a coffee. Those details are also in the description and on the Homicide Inc. website, where you can hear all the podcasts and some other cool stuff. Well, thanks so much, and we'll see you again very soon. Ciao for now.